For several seasons running, the Seahawks have been trying to figure out how to maximize their tight end group. They've got plenty of talent there, including newcomer Noah Fant, giving this group a ton of upside. We're going to be checking out the depth chart of the tight end position and much more in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Monday to all of our listeners, and as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It might be the dog days of summer, not a lot going on in the NFL, but there's still plenty going on with the Seahawks, including plenty of quarterback chatter. We're going to be breaking that down, continuing our 90-player roster review with number 65 through 61. And we're going to finish off our position group depth chart review with the tight end position. Jam-packed episode coming your way. And it's brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Here we are getting towards the beginning of July. There's not a lot going on in the NFL. OTAs, minicamps are over. And yet... The Seahawks continue to be one of the teams that's in the news because there's a certain quarterback in Cleveland. The rumors just will not cease. They're not going to with what's going on with Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. What is going to happen with Baker Mayfield? And, of course, the Seahawks, along with the Panthers, those have been the two teams that continually get linked to Mayfield. And, Rob, we've talked ad nauseum about the possibility of Baker Mayfield coming to Seattle way back when the Watson trade happened and Wilson had already been dealt to the Denver Broncos, that this looked like a potential fit. But all along, the Seahawks have said, only at our price. And that still looks to be the way that it is right now. But I think it's time that we seriously consider this possibility because with it still being out there floating around, credible reporters like Josina Anderson mentioning the Seahawks are greatly interested in him. It seems more and more likely to me now that this is a matter of when, not if. And so I think the big question is, how much does Baker Mayfield improve the ceiling? How much does he increase the ceiling for the Seahawks football team in 2022? Yeah, a couple of really good questions there, Corbin. I think, um, you know, just the, the first thing, I mean, as you said, I mean, we have some legitimate, uh, you know, reporters out there that are, are nationally based that, that continue to say that there is fire behind this smoke. And it just is so similar, of course, to what we saw with the Russell Wilson trade when, um, you know, there have been a lot of talk out there. There's no way. And, and logically, there shouldn't have been any way that a franchise quarterback at the point in his career that Russell Wilson was is, is going to be traded by away from a team that in which he you know, was the uh, you know, NFL man of the year and won a Super Bowl title, all that kind of stuff. And yet. We continue to hear all of that talk that Russell Wilson is going to be traded, and obviously, ultimately, he was so. So the, the fact that Baker Mayfield continues to be so much in the forefront of the news with the Seahawks, or at least the conjecture out there, then I think that it is something that we have to look at a little bit closer. And and exactly what would he bring the Seahawks? Would he actually be able to turn this around from a little bit of a rebuild to a reclamation of the fact that, that Seattle was the division champion just a couple 
couple of years ago. Um, and this is a quarterback in Baker Mayfield, who obviously has had a great deal, much more success um, in, in the NFL than, uh, you know, than, than either Geno Smith or Drew Locke or Jacob Eason, of, of course, for that matter. So uh, I think that it is a topic that we have to kind of continue to to look at. Um, and, and the fact that Baker Mayfield himself mentioned Seattle, uh, you know, when, you know, when, when some of this has been going on, I think that there's just a, too many things here for us not to continue to kind of unpack, uh, unpack the, this possible storyline. Yeah, I think when you look at the possibility, of course, we've looked at the stats, We've talked about the type of player that Baker Mayfield is, the injury last year. I think that's the first big thing for me. When you're looking at how much a player is going to impact the ceiling of a team and you're looking at a quarterback like Baker Mayfield that is coming off left shoulder surgery, that's key here. He's got to be healthy. He's got to pass the physical. If he does, that's good news. Is he going to be a good fit for your offense? We think that Drew Locke potentially could run this offense fairly well. We know that Geno Smith can run it. He did it last year, the three games replacing Russell Wilson. So that might be an area that Baker Mayfield, at least initially, would be behind those two. Would he be able to capitalize on receiving talent? That is certainly questionable. Look what happened with OBJ, and he, he ended up getting traded away to the Rams. So that didn't necessarily work out the way that the Browns hoped it would. Was that all on Mayfield? We don't know. Certainly could be a play caller issue. Can he hold up behind a shaky offensive line? This is not the same offensive line he was playing behind in Cleveland, arguably the best of the NFL the last couple of seasons. But I think at the end of the day, Rob, and you and I would both agree with this, those other factors, I mean, fitting the offense might be the most important. But when we're looking at how much a player can raise the ceiling of a team, it simply boils down to what is the maximum potential that that player can bring to the table. And we know that Geno Smith, from his career track record, Prior to last year, he had pretty good numbers those three starts, but prior to last year had more interceptions than touchdowns. Drew Locke led the NFL in interceptions only a couple of years ago, lost his starting job to Teddy Bridgewater, has never thrown 20 touchdown passes in a season. Baker Mayfield's done it a couple of times, and two years ago when he was healthy, he had 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. He's a former Heisman winner. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, Yes, Drew Locke's got arm talent. Yes, Geno Smith has some arm talent. He knows the offense. But I don't think there's any question that there's more upside and more proven talent in Baker Mayfield. The real question off of that is, if he's playing at his best, how many extra wins does that really net you on the schedule? Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, when we went through the schedule uh, breakdown, when it first came out, I, I I predicted that Seattle's record this upcoming season, Corbin, with Drew Locke likely as their starter would be 6-11. and 11. Um, and, and that's obviously not a, a playoff contending type of a record. Um, it's also not the contender for number one overall. Um, and, and so if if you're going to add Baker Mayfield as the quarterback, I, I think we're still talking about a team that's eight, eight wins, nine wins, maybe. Um, I, I do think that Baker Mayfield is a better player. Again, that is presuming that you are going to get the best of, of, of Baker Mayfield. And I think that's something else that we got to kind of go back to um, is the you, you mentioned the fit in the offense. I would be excited about Baker Mayfield's fit in Shane Waldron's offense. Uh, and frankly, I'd be excited about Baker Mayfield's fit in just about any offense. And, uh, and, and the reason why is because he, of course, has had some success in the NFL in a run heavy scheme in, in Cleveland. 
Um, but that's one at which we have seen some transition at the offensive coordinator, even the head coach position. Um, and then obviously going back to his college days, uh, whether it was a walk-on at Texas Tech, whether it was a Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall draft pick from Oklahoma, um, you know, whether it's in the pro style scheme in which he, uh, which I saw him compete against Josh Allen and, uh, you know, so many of the other great quarterbacks of his draft class, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in, in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Um, Baker Mayfield has shown an ability to to be able to just intellectually master the offense and be successful. And the physical traits are, are, are pretty undeniable. For a smaller guy, um, he has plenty of arm strength, and he certainly has the accuracy to all levels of the field. You love the mobility, um, you know, all the things that you're looking for. And he's got some it factor to him as well. And that is one of the questions that I have. And one of the things that I think that Baker Mayfield would be bringing to Seahawks that they don't necessarily have right now. I don't know that Geno Smith uh, or Drew Locke or Jacob Eason have that true it factor that you have to have at the quarterback position. It's just so rare that you see NFL teams have any type of success without that kind of gunslinger, that, that, that just the guy. Um, at the quarterback position. And Baker's got a little bit of that. Um, and, and so that's why, again, I think that this continues to be a topic that we're going to have to very much uh, kind of focus in on because there is a possibility that, that Seattle is going to do this. As, as surprised as I would be, I still think that the most likely scenario is that Seattle sticks with what the quarterbacks that they already have and just made the best man win. Um, but at the same time, with you have a player, the caliber Baker Mayfield, if the Cleveland Browns are going to be willing to absorb the, the you know, the vast majority of that salary, um, as you'd expect. Um, but if they're willing to do that, then of course you have to consider this option. Yeah. I think if you can get the Browns to pay most of that salary, which it still looks like that's what the Seahawks and the Panthers are saying, Hey, you need to do this or we're not going to budge. There is no leverage for the Browns in this situation. They created this situation for themselves, but I think if this trade does happen, I would agree with you that, three, maybe four wins if Baker Mayfield's playing at his best. You you might be a borderline wildcard team because I had them going seven and nine uh, in my predictions, I believe, or seven and ten in my predictions. I'm still getting used to the enlarged schedule, but I could see him getting to nine or ten win, wins with Baker Mayfield. Like I'm looking at week one against the Denver Broncos. Yes, I think they have a better chance to beat Russell Wilson in his homecoming with Baker Mayfield under center than they do Drew Locke or Geno Smith. There are a few other games early in the schedule where I would feel more comfortable with Mayfield under center. I don't know that it's that big of a gap, but it's big enough that I think that it could sway two or three games. And that, with the rest of the talent they have on offense and defense, could be enough for this to be a team that hangs around in contention deep into the season rather than competing for a top pick. And I agree with you on that, too. I think the Seahawks probably are not looking at a floor where they're competing for a top three pick. But... I could see him in that five or six range if things just don't work out. The quarterback play is not there. So this is going to continue to be a topic of discussion. You can be assured there's going to be more discussion and more rumors about Mayfield going to Seattle in coming days. Until he has a new destination, the Seahawks are going to be linked to him as one of the few teams that has major concerns at the quarterback position. Coming up next, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown with numbers 65 through 61. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and scores. 
BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, whether it's MMA, boxing, or golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to be getting to our 90-player countdown, continuing with number 65 through 61. I'm having a really hard time distancing myself from that ad, though, thinking about if you blended boxing and golf together in one sport. I just think that that would be amazing. I mean, that, I guess Happy Gilmore was already made. But um, <laughs> anyway, I digress. Let's get back to our countdown here. Number 65 through 61, nearing the halfway point on our 90-player countdown. And Rob, let's kick off with a familiar name here in the Pacific Northwest. Number 65, he starred at the high school level here in Washington and then went to Georgia, ended up losing his job when he got hurt, comes back to Washington, plays for the Huskies. Jacob Eason now clearly the number three quarterback on the depth chart, but he still has the physical traits to intrigue enough the Seahawks want to take one more look at it. Yeah, I mean, and you can certainly understand why. I mean, he's 6'5", 230 pounds, and has an absolute golden right arm. I mean, it, it's exactly what every scout out there is looking for. You, you mentioned the the um, you know the fact that he was at the University of Georgia as well as University of Washington. So, uh, of course, his familiarity with different schemes, uh, having success statistically against uh, very good competition, not only in the Pac-12, but obviously in the SEC as well as a freshman. Um, you know, that, that's obviously very impressive. Um, that's, you know, every year you, you have those uh, those fans out there, Corbin, who want their favorite NFL team to just draft a young quarterback with tools and develop them. Well, Jacob Eason is exactly the type of quarterback that you want to have on your roster and, and try to develop. So to me, that that's the question here is that you, everybody can see the tools. But if you're not actually getting any production out of those tools, then they're just tools. You got to have a yard sale or something. And so that's what I think that the, the Seahawks have to figure out is if Jacob Eason is something that you need to keep in the garage or is he something that you need to basically cut bait with it's we had we just finished up having the conversation about baker mayfield the, i think the conversation about baker mayfield or jimmy garoppolo or any other quarterback that's out there is as much to do about baker mayfield jimmy garoppolo as it is about jacob eason and, and so again because he has been in the in the the building then he has the opportunity here to kind of force seattle to look elsewhere and if he does not, then again, I think that we are going to continue to hear Seattle link to all those other quarterbacks available. Yeah, I think you made a perfect comparison there. It doesn't matter if you have a hammer and a bunch of other tools out in the toolbox. If you don't know how to use them, it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't want to use a hammer if you don't know how to use it. So you've seen this, unfortunately, with Jacob Eason at the college level and his brief time in the NFL where there might be a throw that you see that ooze you a little bit, but then you'll turn around and you'll see two or three throws that are airmailed over a receiver or thrown way out in front or way behind. The anticipation's not there. The accuracy is not there consistently. So, yes, he might have a Howard surfer an arm, but he hasn't figured out how to use it, and he's getting deep enough now into his NFL run where this really does, and I've said this a couple times in the podcast, it really feels like, this is the last opportunity potentially for him. He might be able to get another chance with another team on a practice squad, but 
legitimate opportunity to compete for a roster spot. This could be it for him since he's already washed out with one team and now he's back in his hometown. Uh, there's, there's some urgency here for Jacob Eason. There's no question. Next on our list here at number 64, now we're going to go to a totally different end of the spectrum here, Rob. Cody Thompson, a player who wasn't highly touted coming out of high school, wasn't a top recruit, played collegially at Toledo, and yet here we are a few years into his career, and he's emerged from being a practice squad guy to last year, dressing for several games for the Seahawks, and now having a very strong offseason program. He's just one of those players that just keeps steadily improving, and that gives him a chance once again to battle for one of those last roster spots at receiver. Yeah, you made the point just a moment ago that he's kind of the polar opposite uh, of Jacob Eason in a lot of ways, and I, I mean that with all due respect to both of them. Uh, I, this is not to suggest that Cody Thompson is not a talented player. Obviously, if you are in the NFL, you are incredibly gifted athlete, but he also has the work ethic, has the, just the sticky hands um, that that you're looking for with one of those so-called possession receivers um, that that frankly does not have that elite side, that elite speed and, and make you miss he does have pretty solid size um and, and so th those are the things with, with cody thompson is, is his ability to be that that's a blanket for wide receivers his marginal ability as far as special teams he's certainly not a special teams ace out there um and, and even though he's reliable in that regard um you know that that to me is some of the things that uh, that leaves him still very much on the bubble um when seattle's receiver core i mean you just kind of look at the way that seattle's receiving core is set up if they are going to be able to keep uh a, a young player like say a derrick young um at his size that's something that seattle lacks other than DK Metcalf and the aforementioned Thompson here, that that is a, an area of concern for Seattle. They just don't have a lot of height at the wide receiver position. It's one of the things that, that I think has kept Thompson, along with those soft hands, on Seattle's roster. I think the big thing for him has just been the reliability and the consistency from him. Practice after practice, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to run routes hard. He's going to run routes precise. He's going to be coachable. He's going to quickly adjust when he – has stuff taught to him. And that was something that Sanjay Lal mentioned to reporters a few weeks ago, closing out of their mandatory minicamp, that he had the best offseason of any receiver on the entire team, in his opinion. And he just takes what he learns and quickly acclimates it. And he does that on special teams, too. You want to hang around in the NFL when you're not a star receiver? You play well on special teams. And this kid's been great on special teams going back to college. He used to block punts and stuff. For Toledo, he does a little bit of everything. Last year, recovered a block punt in the season finale. So he is still going to be hanging around. And I think he's got a chance. He got a decent chance again to be maybe that number five or six receiver, in part because of that special teams versatility that he brings to the equation. Now, next up on the list, a player that I was really excited about last year at the defensive tackle position, Miles Adams was on the practice squad for the better part of two years. Kind of a similar story to Cody Thompson waiting for his opportunity, a little undersized at around 285, 290 pounds. But I thought the two games that he played in last year, Rob, that Miles Adams played really well. He was outstanding in the game against Chicago Bears. He was penetrating in the backfield. He was rushing the quarterback, blew up a screen. He was doing some things that you thought, you know, there might be a player here that can contribute for us in the long run. But I have questions now with the scheme change at his size. I just don't know that he can be a two-gapping <laughs> defensive tackle in the NFL. And I feel like you're going to have to be able to do that to play significant snaps. The addition of Shelby Harris, bringing back Quentin Jefferson, LJ Collier is still going to try to get snaps. 
it feels like he's going to be an odd man out here, even though I really liked what I saw last year. He might be a player that is better served putting together a strong training camp in preseason and landing with a team that's going to play more of those four-man fronts like Seattle used to. Yeah, there's no question about it. just in terms of his body size, uh, body style, um, he fits in better with a, a penetrating four man front type of a, of a system. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's funny if you can make plays behind the line of scrimmage, then you can kind of make the, you can break the rules basically. Um, you know, that, that was one of the things I remember all those years back ago, back when I, when I played a little bit of ball. Um, I remember one of my offensive line coaches basically saying that you know for a big guy sometimes the the toughest thing in the world to handle is a quick little guy and that's the thing and, and I, I certainly don't want to uh describe miles adams as a as a little guy uh you know again we're talking about a 6'1 285 pounder uh you know here but at the same time in comparison to the gargantuans that we typically see along the nfl line of scrimmage his initial quickness he he's slippery he, he is i mean he uses his hands well and coordinates well with his feet he can get by people so uh, again while schematically he is not a great fit i think we're talking about a a third down pass rush specialist anyway when you're not likely to be kind of lining up in that traditional three-man front um and, and so i think that you can get creative i think that he's right on the bubble um he's one of those guys i think that he needs to make a couple of big plays in the preseason if he does so then as you said corbin even if seattle does not bring him back then there's going to be some other team who's going to be eager to snatch him up I definitely think that he's an NFL caliber player and he's had time to develop now. It's just all about the scheme. If he can two gap and maybe he can, we haven't had a really a great chance to see that, but he is a little smaller to be doing that. But if he's got the technique down, maybe he surprises people again and at least retains a practice squad spot. If not more continue our list now at number 62, Michael Jackson, the former Miami cornerback, he was actually a fifth round pick a few years back and he's got good size 32 plus inch arms and I think you and I both agreed last season when the Seahawks plucked him off of waivers and then put him on the practice squad that maybe he is a intriguing developmental guy even though it didn't work out for him in New England just because he fits the prototype he's athletic he's long he's tall he plays a physical brand of football we didn't get to see him until late in the year but I thought he played really well in the game against the Detroit Lions had a couple pass breakups. He was targeted twice in limited action, didn't give up any completions, had that pass breakup, and came up and stuck somebody on special teams as well. Pete Carroll was raving about him. And so I mentioned it when I was looking at the cornerback group in an earlier episode. To me, Michael Jackson might be that bubble guy that nobody is talking about right now that in training camp maybe could make some noise and make some of these younger corners beat it a little bit. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, he could be the man in the mirror. I mean, because he <laughs> is... He, he he is a, a, he's a good player. I mean, he is a guy that I remember watching him back at Miami. And of course, with the name, you know, we're making jokes about it here. Um, you know, just a name like that, your your eyes are always going to kind of be drawn to him. So I, I remember watching a couple of plays for the Canes, and, and I just thought, wow, this guy is a legitimate player here. This is somebody I, I need to be writing up. And, and so I did write him up, and was not at all surprised to see him, uh, you know, have some interest in, in the NFL. He is, as you mentioned. Corbin, I mean, just that that kind of Pete Carroll prototype in, in so many different ways. Um, I am disappointed that he's not had more success in the NFL already. 
But and so I, I feel like Seattle basically has a coup here that they've got have an opportunity to uh, to get their hands on a guy who has a lot of the physical traits that you're looking for. It, you you kind of mentioned the physicality. He does play physical. Um, so a lot of the things again that, that Seattle is looking for at cornerback position and not just a corner, but on special teams as well. So I'm really excited to see what Michael Jackson might be able to provide the Seahawks. And wrapping up this last list here, going to the safety position, Josh Jones was a second-round pick coming out of North Carolina State. He's got great size. I remember that, Rob, there were some comparisons made to Cam Chancellor when he was coming out of school because of his playing style and his size. Now, there's only one Cam Chancellor, so I wasn't buying that hype necessarily, but he put up great testing numbers. He's got great size. And he started more than 25 games in the NFL. So he's got a lot of experience. I thought he played really well for the Seahawks in that season finale last year at Arizona. They had to throw him into the starting lineup with guys getting banged up. And then late in the game, they lost Quandre Diggs. So he played almost every snap in that game. But he's played free safety. He's played strong safety. He's got the athleticism and the physicality to play both spots. Inconsistency is really what plagued him early in his career with the Colts, the Packers, and the Jaguars. And that's why he found himself on the waiver wire, but I think this is another guy, much like the undrafted rookies we've talked about, that if he can go out and play one in the preseason and you know he's going to bring it in training camp at the practices and he can show what he did late last year, in terms of making the roster, he probably has a better chance because of that experience that he has. I mean, you can't you can't replicate 25 starts in the NFL for an undrafted rookie, and Josh Jones brings that to the equation. He knows the system a little bit from playing for him last year, so – I do think that he is a veteran that has a decent shot at making this football team. I agree with you 100. Uh, percent You know, between he and, and you just mentioned Michael Jackson, another uh, defensive back. I'm just really excited to have an opportunity to evaluate these players. Um, these are the kind of guys that I think that make this roster rebuild or whatever we want to call what the Seahawks are, are are doing right now. I think that's what makes it kind of fun because you get a chance to to see some of these guys who have some just rare physical traits and just haven't been able to to figure it all out just quite yet in the NFL. Um, you know, again, whether it be Jackson, whether it be Drew Locke, whether it be, uh, you know, in, in this case with, with Josh Jones, um, you, you mentioned some of the Cam Chancellor, Cham, excuse me, Cam Chancellor comparisons. I mean, 6'2", 225, running in the 4'3", is a 40-inch vertical. I mean, this guy is just so explosive. You, you know, you hear about those expressions like, you know, the first guy off the bus kind of a stuff and just how intimidating they look. That's exactly what this guy looks like. I mean, he yeah. is built the way that you want. He just is a little bit straight line. She is not doesn't quite have that flexibility. He's been able to be beat in coverage in the past. And Seattle, of course, has been vulnerable to tight ends in the past as well. But he is such a thumper. And, and the way that Seattle's defense, I expect it to use their tight their, their safeties a little bit differently this year. I think that Josh Jones is one of the real wild cards of our of our entire uh of Seattle's entire roster. Speaking of wild cards, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we are to the tail end of our position-by-position depth chart review. We have covered every single position group except one, and it's a group that you and I have been gushing about for the last couple of weeks. And I'm not going to lie, I've gushed about the tight end group for about four years in a row going into the season, and it just hasn't panned out. Expectations have not been met. I mean, they have not had a tight end go over 500 receiving yards since Jimmy Graham was still on the roster back in 2017. It has been a long time. Gerald Everett almost got there last year, but they just haven't had the production from their tight end group. And yet 
this time truly does feel different. I don't know if it's because Russell Wilson's gone. They've got different quarterbacks. They're going to have to rely on tight ends more or Shane Waldron year two in his offense. I'm truly going to get the tight ends involved the way that I want to a combination of those things, maybe the position group just coming together. But I think you just look at the projected starters here, Rob, Noah Fant, there's no question has an incredibly high ceiling with the athletic traits, the ability to stretch the field as a vertical threat to create after the catch break tackles. He can beat you in the short game with his quickness, reliable hands. He's improved some as a blocker the last couple of years, but his receiving game and his ability to move around the formation and be that joker tight end is really what gives him value for any offense. And they're hoping that he can really find it in his fourth season and they picked up his fifth-year option already. So they're hoping they can get some big production out of him. And Will Disley, you just signed into a three-year, $24 million contract because you value his blocking and you think that he can be a bigger factor in the receiving game himself. He has been reliable in the past when he's been healthy. Now you're just hoping you can get a bit more out of him in that regard. But really, that is a nice one-two punch, guys, that really complement each other when you're running a lot of 12 personnel. Yeah, I think it's arguably the best tight end group in all of the NFL, Corbin. I mean, I, I really think that Noah Fant is a special talent. Um, we talked about just a moment ago with uh, the cornerback, Michael Jackson, the safety, Josh Jones. Obviously, the quarterback, Drew Locke. You're talking about some guys who came in with a little bit of fanfare and have not had as much success despite undeniable athletic talent and that is no offense to a t um of all of the players uh, of all the newcomers i guess i should say um for seattle this year the ones i am most excited to see would be Noah Fant, as well as Boye Mafe and Ken Walker, the rookies. I'm excited to see those guys. I just think that we're talking about different caliber athletes than what we've seen at those positions here in, in recent years. And it really should be pretty exciting, pretty obvious to see what they're able to do. Um, and, and you talked about the fact with, uh, with, with Russell Wilson, obviously no longer in Seattle, and the fact that Russell Wilson statistically struggled to throw the ball to the tight end throughout his entire career. This is not some slam on Wilson. It just is a, a fact. And I, I think that that's something that, that Seattle will try to exploit a little bit more this year. So, yeah, I think that they are going to be uh, trying to take full advantage of, of Will Disley's soft hands and in his ability as a run blocker as well. And then again, that speed that Noah Fant possesses, I really think that that is going to be that dynamic one-two punch. I would not be surprised if both of Seattle's tight ends uh, are hovering right around that 500-yard mark. And Noah Fant should be among the tight ends in all of the NFL, who is the most lethal in terms of big play potential. His his yards per catch uh, rate should be probably the best of his NFL career um, and, and certainly should be something better than we've seen from any tight end from Seattle since at least Jimmy Graham. And you mentioned the upside of this group. I'm not going to go as far as saying that this is the best tight end group in the NFL. Do I think they could be? Absolutely. I think you have to look at the ceiling. And really, that's the theme of this episode. How high is the ceiling? With this tight end group, Noah Fant has as much talent as any tight end in the NFL in terms of physical skills. Will Disley is not the athlete that Noah Fant is, but he's a great blocker, and he brings a lot of the other intangibles to the table, the toughness, the physicality. He's a great locker room guy. He's got soft, reliable hands. So he does a lot of things really well. But I think what really makes it that this group has the upside to be the best in the NFL is my wild card pick. And that is Colby Parkinson. We've been we've been raving about him for two years, and then foot injuries in training camp have 
derailed him. And when he's come back, he just hasn't been able to become part of this offense. Maybe third time is the charm. And if it is, you know Shane Waldron's getting excited about the possibilities. Flexing Colby Parkinson out into the slot, even playing him outside if you want to. At six foot seven, the speed and the length and the ability to separate against opponents. You don't see many six, seven tight ends that can do that. But this guy has that kind of talent. And in the red zone, he should be one of the best tight end weapons in the NFL with that size, catch radius, and the soft hands that he brings to the equation. They just haven't been able to get him involved because of injuries. And then whatever reason, second half last year, he's healthy, but we're not going to get him involved. He needs to be a focal point in the red zone, particularly with the quarterback change. That is going to be a quarterback's best friend. It's a real matchup nightmare for opponents. So in terms of upside, Colby Parkinson has the tools to be a major weapon in the passing game. It just hasn't come together to this point. Maybe in year three it does, and if it does, then this can be the best tight end group in the NFL. The upside is clearly there. Yeah, it really is. And, yeah, you use the word wild card. Um, you know, every couple of weeks I, I get a chance to, to kind of hang out with my my dad, my uncle, a uh, couple of, uh, of buddies, and we have some some friendly poker games. And we have lots of them where we have to have a wild card. And I think that we should just call the damn wild card Kobe Parkinson because that is exactly it. I mean, you just don't know exactly what you're going to get with them, but the talent is undeniable for all the different reasons that you said. Um, it just has to happen. Um, it's like Marquise Blair at, at the safety and quarterback position on the on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think Seahawks fans and Seahawks coaches, I'm sure, um, are, are sick of hearing about how talented these players are. It, it's put up or shut up time, um, you know. But, and so I'm, I'm excited to see what Kobe, Kobe Parkinson is going to be able to pr- provide. At one point, I thought that he was a possible first-round caliber player. So I don't want to suggest that, that I – was at any time ne- uh, negative on this player, but it is now time to see, uh, you know, some of the, the fruition here um, of, of all of that talent. He's clearly one of the make it or break it players this year, even though he's got two years left on his contract. Like this is a huge third season for him. Now shifting gears to a guy that there really aren't any expectations for. There's only five players in Seattle's depth chart at tight end right now. Usually they've got six or seven, but they've only got five. Cade Brewer undrafted rookie out of Texas, not a player that was at all on my radar. And yet I try not to put too much stock into OTAs and minicamp, but he made a couple of receptions out there earlier this month that kind of made me drop my jaw. Kind of made me drop my jaw a little bit, made a couple catches where he had showed some toe drag swag along the sideline, made a difficult catch in the end zone on a throw that was thrown a little bit behind him for a touchdown. And so I saw some things from this kid, and then I actually went back and watched some of Texas' games. And you got to remember, Texas has been abysmal at the quarterback position for several years running now. They have not had much talent there, and they've changed coaches. They've had different playbooks. Not a lot of opportunities for the tight ends to get involved, but I see a pretty solid H-back in Cade Brewer, a guy that kind of like Tyler Mabry, the other player in their depth chart, He's not the best athlete, but he's athletic enough. You can move him to the slot. He can play in the backfield as a fullback. He can play in line a little bit. Not necessarily a great blocker, but he brings the physicality. He has the mindset. And so I think you will get Tyler Mabry's path here the last couple of years. He's gotten addressed for some games. I think Cade Brewer could potentially be that kind of a player. In fact, that could be a real battle right there in itself for who's going to be in the practice squad or if they want to carry four tight ends. 
These guys have very similar size and athletic profile. And Brewers coming from the University of Texas has had a good offseason program. Those two guys, that's going to be a tooth and nail battle when you're just talking about the pecking order on the depth chart. I think Brewer might be a guy that down the line maybe has some potential to play for this football team. Yeah, that's going to be a fun little battle there. Um, because as, as you said, I mean, Seattle has <clears throat> always kept at least three tight ends, often four, um, and sometimes even hover with five when we start talking about the practice squad and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, of course, I was not there to to see some of these plays that, that Brewer made, but I, I trust your your eye for talent. Um, and, and that's exactly the path that Tyler Mabry made to, to making this team uh, as undrafted free agent a couple of years ago as well. I, I mean, he, I thought, was basically being viewed a little bit as kind of an afterthought, at least least in my opinion, when Seattle had guys like, uh, you know, uh, the Stanford kid we just were talking about before uh, a moment ago, as well as Stephon Sullivan and, you know, and other tight ends like that, though, that, you know, Gerald Everett, obviously the veterans and players like that. We, we thought this was a pretty good tight end group previously. And Tyler Mabry, just by making a couple of splash plays in some of those preseason games, uh, you know, really made a, an impression and obviously made this roster. And so that's the thing is I, I think that this is going to be kind of that tooth and nail battle between these two players, because I don't think that both of them are going to be able to make this roster or the practice squad. I think that so um, this really is going to be one of the more fascinating matchups uh, between these two players who, as you said, are physically similar built, similar caliber athletes. Um, and, and but both have a really exciting knack for making big plays when they get their opportunities. Yeah, and I think you just summed it up perfectly. When you have a small position group like this, only five players, you get three players that we believe are givens. They're going to be on the opening day roster. Then that really leaves two guys that are on the bubble battling for either the final roster spot on the 53 or they're battling for one spot on the practice squad. Seattle has kept two practice squad tight ends in the past before. So maybe both these guys could make that practice squad, but both of them are not going to be making the 53 man roster unless there's injuries in front of them. So they're going to be competing against each other at the bottom of the depth chart and trying to wrangle away a practice squad spot at minimum. I do expect that this is going to be a fairly competitive group, especially the top when you have three talented guys that are vying for snaps they're going to be friendly about it, but it's going to be a competitive uh, battle for snaps in the regular season in Shane Waldron's offense. And they're hoping they can finally get some receiving production out of this group that meets the talent that they have on the depth chart. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks five days a week streaming on YouTube. And we're also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When we return tomorrow for our Tuesday episode, Rob and I are going to be continuing our 90-player countdown with numbers 60 through 56. And we're going to start diving into competitions to watch in training camp with the right tackle position. It might be more than two players jostling for that starting role come August. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.